Hello and welcome to the last infocast on diabetes mellitus and insipidus. First I'm going to speak to you on the uh, diabetes mellitus and the respiratory system. We're going to learn about the respiratory system and the urinary system today and their effects on these diseases. So how diabetes can affect the respiratory system. Diabetes can adversely affect our breathing in a number of different ways. Breathing difficulties don't affect everyone with diabetes and the risk of having difficulty breathing can be reduced by maintaining good diabetes control and healthy body weight. Uh, rapid or labored breathing is known as cosmal breathing and it can be a symptom of diabetic ketoacidosis. Ketoacidosis is a short-term complication of diabetes. It's caused by very high blood glucose levels accompanied by a high level of ketones in the blood. Ketoacidosis will only usually affect people with diabetes if they haven't taken sufficient insulin. Ketoacidosis is very dangerous and should be treated as an emergency. <clears throat> Um, it's a very dangerous complication faced by people with diabetes, which happens when the body starts running out of insulin. It's most commonly associate, associated with type 1 diabetes. However, people with type 2 diabetes that produce very little of their own insulin may also be affected. Ketoacidosis occurs when the body has insufficient insulin to allow enough glucose to enter the cells and so the body switches to burning fatty acids and producing acidic ketone bodies. A high level of ketone bodies in the blood can cause particularly severe illness. Symptoms of ketoacidosis includes vomiting, dehydration, an unusual smell in the breath, sometimes compared to the smell of pear drops, deep labored breathing, I mentioned earlier, called cosmal breathing, um, or hyperventilation, rapid heartbeat, confusion, disorientation, and coma. As noted above, ketoacidosis is caused by the body having too little insulin and allows to allow cells to take in glucose for energy. This may happen for a number of reasons, including having high blood glucose levels consistently over 15 mmol per ls, missing an insulin injection if a fault has developed in your insulin pen or insulin pump as a result of illness or infection, high or prolonged levels of stress, excessive alcohol consumption, or illegal drug use. Ketoacidosis is common in children with type 1 diabetes. In 2009 to 2010, the Diabetes UK notes that 9% of children experience at least one episode of diabetic ketoacidosis. It's diagnosed using blood and urine tests, which measure the concentration of ketones in the blood or urine. Levels of potassium may also be measured as part of the treatment to check for signs of 
hypokalemia, low potassium levels. Potassium may be depleted as a result of excess, excessive urination. Treatment of diabetic ketoacidosis involves administering intravenous fluids to correct the dehydration and to replace any salts that may be lost in the body during uh, ketoacidosis through passing excessive quantities of urine. Insulin is also required to instantly suppress the ketone bodies that the body man, uh, manufactures. The best way to prevent ketoacidosis is to keep good blood glucose control at all times. Regularly testing your blood sugar levels at home will help you to manage your glucose levels as well. Uh, next we'll talk about the urinary system and your kidneys. Becoming very short of breath while climbing stairs can be a result of kidney failure. Chronic kidney disease can lead to anemia, which leaves the blood short of red blood cells with which to carry oxygen. If we have anemia and need to be more active, this can lead to our body struggling to get enough oxygen for our muscles and can leave us out of breath. Kidney disease is one of the more common complications of diabetes, affecting about 40% of people with diabetes. It's commonly called diabetic nephropathy. It is possible to prevent or delay through control of both blood glucose and blood pressure levels. Diabetes affects the arteries of the body and as the kidneys filter blood from many arteries, kidney problems are a particular risk for pe uh, people with diabetes. Nephropathy is a general term for the deterioration of proper functioning in the kidneys. At advanced level, this is called end-stage renal disease. It often stems from diabetes with diabetes causing just under half of all cases. Nephropathy can affect people with both type 1 and type 2 diabetes. Symptoms tend to become apparent once the condition has reached the later stages. Typically, the following symptoms may start to be noticed around stage four of its progression. Swelling of the ankles, feet, lower legs, or hands caused by retention of water. Darker urine caused by blood in the urine. Becoming short of breath when climbing stairs, for instance. Tiredness as a result of a lack of oxygen in the blood, nausea or vomiting. To help catch nephropathy before the later stages develop, people with diabetes should be screened for kidney complications once a year. The screening test involves a simple urine sample, which is tested to detect whether protein is present in the urine. Statistics show that the development of kidney disease in people with diabetes is associated with high blood glucose levels over periods of years, but research has yet to reveal the actual mechanism by which high blood glucose levels cause damage to the kidneys. Diabetic nephropathy is directly influenced by hypertension, and in patients with hypertension acceleration through the stages of diabetic nephropathy may be more rapid. It is possible to prevent diabetic nephropathy. The development 
of nephropathy may be delayed or prevented by maintaining good control of blood glucose levels and blood pressure. Um, attending annual diabetic health checks is important as early identification of kidney damage can allow you and your healthcare team to take action to limit progression of kidney disease. The urinary system is also known as the excretory system. It allows the body to remove waste or unneeded products from the body through urine. The urinary system can also help the body to remove excess glucose from the blood. As a result, though, high blood sugar levels can present problems for the urinary system in the short term as well as the long term. The role of the urinary system is to remove uh, waste products such as urea, uric acid, and creatinine from the blood to be passed out of the body as urine. It also helps to regulate the amount of glucose, salt, and water in the blood. Components are the kidneys, ureter, bladder, and urethra. If the blood has an excess of glucose, the kidneys will remove glucose from the blood to be excreted in the urine. A number of diabetes drugs known as SGLT2 inhibitors have been developed which reduces the amount of glucose that is reabsorbed by the kidneys. Therefore, more glucose is passed out of the urine. Diabetes can affect the urinary system. It can have short-term and long-term effects on the urinary system. In the short term, high blood glucose levels can promote bacterial growth, which can raise the risk of urinary tract infections or thrush developing. Long-term effects of diabetes in the urinary system can include kidney damage and damage to nerves controlling the bladder can result in difficulty urinating or urinary incontinence. UTIs are bacterial infections which start in the genitals and which can affect any part of the urinary system, but are particularly dangerous and even life-threatening if they affect the kidneys. UTIs are therefore best treated early, and this can be done by taking antibiotics. <clears throat> Yeast infections, also known as thrush, are fungal infections that can affect different parts of the body. Yeast infections that affect the genitals are a common type of yeast infection that is more likely to affect people with diabetes that have glucose present in their urine. The glucose in urine provides a fertile environment for fungal infections to grow. Thrush can be treated by taking antifungal creams. Okay, that's going to be a wrap for diabetes. Next we'll go to diabetes insipidus. So part of the signs and symptoms of insipidus is extreme thirst producing large amounts of diluted urine, the frequent need to get up to urinate during the night, and the preference for cold drinks. There is no signs or symptoms of insipidus that affect the respiratory system. <clears throat> if insipidus is serious, urine output can be as much as 20 quarts or about 19 liters a day if you're drinking enough fluids. A healthy adult typically urinates an average of one or two quarts or about one to two liters a day. So you can see it's a significant increase with insipidus. 
An infant or young child with insipidus may have the following signs and symptoms. Heavy wet diaper, diapers, bedwetting, trouble sleeping, fever, vomiting, constipation, delayed growth, and weight loss. Nephrogenic diabetes insipidus that's present at or shortly after birth usually has an inherited cause that permanently changes the kidney's ability to concentrate the urine. Nephrogenic diabetes insipidus usually affects males, though women can pass the gene to their children. Insipidus may lead to dehydration. It can cause dry mouth, changes in skin elasticity, thirst, and fatigue. It can also cause an electrolyte imbalance. Minerals in your blood, such as sodium and potassium, uh, that maintain the fluid balance in your blood Symptoms of an electrolyte imbalance can include weakness, nausea, vomiting, loss of appetite, muscle cramps, and confusion. One of the tests doctors use to diagnose insipidus include a water deprivation test. While being monitored by a doctor and healthcare team, you'll be asked to stop drinking fluids for several hours. To prevent dehydration while fluids are restricted, ADH allows your kidneys to decrease the amount of fluid lost in the urine. While fluids are being withheld, your doctor will measure changes in your body weight, urine output, and the concentration of your urine and blood. Your doctor may also measure blood levels of ADH or give you synthetic ADH during this time. This will determine if your body is producing enough ADH and if your kidneys can respond as expected to ADH. That's the water deprivation test. Uh, treatment. For insipidus, uh, if you have mild diabetes insipidus, you may only need to increase your water intake if the condition is caused by an um, abnormality in the pituitary gland or hypothalamus, such as a tumor. Your doctor will first treat the abnormality. Typ typically, this uh, form is treated with man-made hormone called Desmopressin, and this medication replaces the missing antidiuretic hormone and decreases urination. You can take desmopressin as a nasal spray or as oral tablets or by an injection. Most people still make some ADH, though the amount can vary day to day. So the amount of desmopressin you need also may vary. Taking more then you need can cause water retention and potentially serious low sodium levels in the blood. Uh, lastly, nephrogenic diabetes insipidus. The kidneys don't properly respond to ADH in this form of diabetes insipidus, so desmopressin will not help. Instead, your doctor may prescribe a low salt diet to help reduce the amount of urine your kidneys make. You'll also need to drink enough water to avoid dehydration. Treatment with the drug microzide may improve your symptoms, although microzide is a type of drug that usually increases urine output, known as a diuretic. In some people, it can reduce urine output for people with nephrogenic diabetes insipidus. Okay, that is all I have for the InfoCast on 
diabetes mellitus and insipidus, and this was on respiratory and urinary systems. I hope you enjoyed this infocast. Thank you.